Good morning. It's Thursday, October the 26th, in the year of our Lord, 2023. I'm J.D. Walt, and this is your wake-up call. Let's begin today. I've been saying lately, you know, this prayer of consecration. There are two ways that you can go when you're praying a prayer like this. You can go deeper and deeper, or you can just kind of go through the motions. You can go deeper into the movement, or you can just drift into the motions. You know where I want us to go. I want to keep our eye on the ball. Something about learning a prayer that then you can actually begin to pray it, that just becomes like muscle memory. You can actually dwell deep in it. That's what let's go for today. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. Jesus, I belong to you. I lift up my heart to you. I set my mind on you. I fix my eyes on you. I offer my body to you as a living sacrifice. Jesus, we belong to you. And we're praying in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today's entry is entitled, Why the Church Flourishes and What Makes It Flounder. Our text is Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 24. We're going to Antioch today. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. It's the word of the Lord. Now consider this. We are 11 chapters in into what is the story of, by far, the most significant organization in human history. Here's my question. Who's in charge? After Stephen's execution, people went in all directions. 
The text today tells us they went as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Cyrene, and Antioch. They are spreading the word among the Jews as well as the Greeks. Just days ago, we witnessed the lead apostle preaching the gospel to and baptizing some God-fearing Gentiles in Caesarea. Jesus is in charge, and the movement seems to grow less organized and more decentralized by the day. Then there's Jerusalem, which seems to be taking on the shape of a home office or headquarters. Back at the home office, they seem to be somewhat on edge about what's happening in the outer reaches. They police the movement with a critical eye and send out representatives to keep an eye on things as needed. It seems anything but decentralized. I know, some of you are scratching your heads wondering what this has to do with your relationship with Jesus today. Permit me a little latitude today to explore some broader questions about the seedbed of our faith, our churches. All of this reminds me of a much-chattered-about book some years back by Ori Brofman and Rod Beckstrom, The Starfish and the Spider, The Unstoppable Power of Leaderless Organizations. The basic premise, with a spider, there's the body and the legs, but all the stuff is in the center. Smash the center and kill the spider. With a starfish, cut off a leg, and the leg can regenerate itself into the whole starfish again. Cut it into two pieces, and soon you have two starfishes. So is the church a spider or a starfish? And resist the temptation to take the easy out and say both. From the looks of it, the Holy Spirit is growing a decentralized organization while the leadership is grasping for a more centralized one. Consider some of Brofman and Beckstrom's analysis on the characteristics of a decentralized organization. When attacked, a decentralized organization tends to become even more open and decentralized. An open system doesn't have central intelligence. The intelligence is spread throughout the system. Open systems can easily mutate. Put people into an open system and they will automatically want to contribute. Think about Wikipedia and Craigslist as an example. Look at the text for today again and tell me if I'm seeing it wrong. I see all of these things at work, notably how persecution, rather than crushing the church, is causing it to regenerate in many other places. Another interesting feature of decentralized organizations is the way they advance, not by the power of a CEO, but through the agency of catalysts who work from the dynamic of a plurality of leadership, i.e. Barnabas and Paul soon to join him there in Antioch. There's too much to unpack here, so I'll just offer a few developing questions. Number one, seven of them. Number one, might the church, under the lordship of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, 
more readily flourish as a decentralized lay movement than as a centralizing institution. Number two, might our denominational structures tend to be more centralizing forces in the church? How might this be corrected? Number three, might the clergy, by virtue of the system we are in, tend to be more centralizing forces in the church? How might this be corrected? Number four, might our campuses and buildings tend to be more centralizing forces in the church? Again, how might this be corrected? Number five, in order to recover the movemental, decentralized ethos of the people of God, might the church and its related organizations need something more imaginative than the corporate hierarchical CEO model of leadership into which clergy tend to be unwittingly and often unwillingly conformed. Number six, in order to thrive in its mission, might the church need to look more like Wikipedia or Craigslist than Walmart or the government? And number seven, if Jesus is going to be the leader of the church he is building, and he must, might he be looking for a different mode of organization and distinctive model of leadership than the world around us subscribes to, even when we dress that up in church clothing? Jesus is indeed the leader of the churches he is building. I suspect he is not the leader of the churches he is not building, which could explain why many such churches are not flourishing. And if you want to see a good, concise summary of the starfish and the spider, you can see the link in today's email. Let's pray together the prayer of transformation. Lord Jesus, I am your witness. I receive your righteousness and release my sinfulness. I receive your wholeness and release my brokenness. I receive your fullness and release my emptiness. I receive your peace and release my anxiety. I receive your joy and release my despair. I receive your healing and release my sickness. I receive your love and release my selfishness. I receive the church you are building and release the church I am building. Come, Holy Spirit, transform my heart, mind, soul, and strength so that my consecration becomes your demonstration, that our lives become your sanctuary. For the glory of God our Father, amen. And the question, 
Why does the world and the church trend toward more centralizing and hierarchical structures of leadership? What is behind this? What is the risk of significant change? Is it worth it to not take the risk and retain the status quo? And for our hymn today, we're going to sing number 388, The Church's One Foundation. This comes from 1866. The Church's One Foundation. It's number 388 in our seedbed hymnal, our great Redeemer's praise, 388. We'll sing all five verses. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. Elect from every nation, yet one o'er all the earth. Her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth. One holy name she blesses, partakes one holy food, and to one hope she presses with every grace endued. Though with a scornful wonder we see her sorrow pressed, by schisms rent asunder, by heresies distressed. Yet saints their watch are keeping, their cry goes up how long. And soon the night of weeping shall be the morn of song. Mid toil and tribulation and tumult of her war, she waits the consummation of peace forevermore. Till with the vision glorious her longing eyes are blessed. And the great church victorious shall be the church at rest. Yet she on earth hath union with God the three in one, and mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one. O happy ones and holy, Lord, give us grace that we, like them the meek and lowly, on high may dwell with thee. <laughs> what a hymn. I mean, I can just feel the organ behind me, even though there's not one today. I just feel it. The majesty, the magisterial tones of the organ almost lifting off of the ground as 
as we sing that great hymn. And you know, I just, as I was singing it today, I just, I had the vision, the experience of actually singing it one-on-one with so many of you. I just knew it. I felt your singing with me. And of course, all of us one-on-one makes up a chorus, a choir, all together singing that heavenly anthem. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. Songwriters out there today, okay, get that into your system. Get that into your memory. Get that into your in, into your memory, and you know what'll happen? It'll come out through your imagination and the lyrics and the the melodic structures. It may not be, you know, just like that hymn structure, but and this is one of the things I'm loving about a number of the new songs that we're seeing emerge across the church is they're carrying hymn-like freight. You know, I love the choruses. The, you know, they can be frustrating to many, particularly people in the older generations. Are like, I'm tired of, I'm tired of repeating that like 95 times. <laughs> but there's a, there's a place for, for just the dwelling on the on the chorus. On a lot of times, the words of scripture just getting them into our mind and our hearts. But a lot of the choruses over the last, you know, 30 years or so have been, they don't carry a lot of freight. They they got their place. They're good. But I'm loving how some of these newer songs are carrying freight. They're freighting the great story of Jesus and his spirit and the church. And anyway, songwriters, that was just a little pitch out to you. You know the old saying, make new friends, but keep the old. The new are silver, the old are gold. I like to say, sing new songs, but keep the old. The new are silver, the old are gold. Well, we got to get going here. We're out of time this morning, and we've got seed to sow. We've got fields to walk into today. Praying the Holy Spirit will sensitize you to the to the mind of Christ, to his heart for all people, and to his joy to walk with you, to move with you today. He's building his church and he does it through you, witnesses like you. I'll see you on the field. For the awakening, I'm JD Walt. We hope that today's entry challenged and encouraged you. And thanks for listening to The Wake Up Call, powered by Seedbed. Be sure to share this with a friend. Leave us a rating and subscribe wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. Find out more and join the movement by visiting our website at seedbed.com slash wakeupcall.